Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. This week, I'm just going to give you a little heads up just from the, the get-go here. This, so tonight and tomorrow, we're actually doing something a little bit different. Mixing it up a little bit. We're still Jesus tripping. We're still reading. If you're still reading through the Bible, please please do continue. Uh, it's, it's great. Uh, but, but yeah, we're doing something a little bit different. So we're actually going to look at today... We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 31. Anybody read that one before? Yeah? Anybody ever felt guilted by that one before? Or put put some pressure on some people you know with that one before? Hopefully not. We're not that kind of people, right? But uh, so we're going to, yeah, we're going to look at Proverbs 31. I'll explain it why in a minute. But it's Mother's Day tomorrow. Not today. So uh, a pre-happy Mother's Day to everybody. But uh, yeah, like I said, Pastor Carl, he's going to be back tomorrow. And uh, Pastor Tim Godfrey from uh, Toronto, from our, our church at Castlefield there in Toronto, he's going to come and he's going to share with us tomorrow. So we got something a little bit different tomorrow. It's going to be really, really good. And uh, if, if you want to come back and hear uh, a little bit of a different take on Proverbs 31, like it's just, it's enriching to hear different people and to get uh, get insights from as many people as you can. It's just fantastic. It's a really, really good opportunity. So Pastor Tim will be here tomorrow to share uh, out of Proverbs 31 as well. So a uh, little bit different, like I said, if you want, if you're in the groups and uh, if you're not doing an impact group, I'd highly recommend that you do. Uh, that you, you can find me, you can email me, you can sign up for an impact group at any time. Um, there's some really, really cool stuff happening in groups. Like, I mean, really cool. Like, uh, you know, there's people with some uh, really crazy stories who will, will let them tell their own stories. But I mean, there's people who are actually having their bodies healed of like verifiable medical conditions, right? And that's what happens when believers get together and pray. That's what happens when believers lay hands on people because it's the believers anointing, right? It's not when you're, when, you know, when your pastors or the leaders pray hands, it's when believers, he said, whoever believes, these signs will follow the believers, Good stuff's happening. I mean, people are getting jobs. People are experiencing the most ridiculous uh, resource kind of miracles. Like, we're, we're just seeing some good stuff, and it's really good to share that stuff in community. And, uh, I mean, the Corinthian church, when they got together, it says, when you get together, they all had something. They all brought something. And if you don't come and you don't bring what you got, you know, you're, you're kind of missing out on the opportunity to share what you have, and everybody else is missing out on what you got. We all need each other. So that, that's just a... A big shout out for small groups. It's not too late, so you can always jump in. Wednesday night here, if you can't think of anything else to do on a Wednesday night, come here, 7 o'clock. We'll find a group for you. Really, really good. Really good stuff. But uh, this week, I would strongly recommend read Proverbs 31. If you are coming to a group, you'll find it in the Bible on July 3rd for the chronological. <laughs> yeah, it's in the Bible, obviously, Joey. <laughs> Proverbs 31 is right after Proverbs 30. But it's on July 3rd, if you're looking for it in the Chronological Bible. Now, all right, so, <laughs> good one, buddy. 
Last week, last week we were looking at the life of King David, okay? So we, are, we talked about how there's, there's, this, there's a continual now moment with God. There's a continual uh, an invitation to transition in our lives out of lives lived in, in sweat and struggle and effort to a life lived by peace and a life lived in the wisdom of God. We saw how David had a dream, and uh, he really wanted to see the temple of God built. He really wanted a place where everybody could come and worship. And God effectively, I believe, ended up saying to him, you know what? You, because of your tool set, because of your struggle, you're not going to be able to build the temple. Not because you're, you've done bad in my sight, but because there's a new era. There's an era of peace. There's an era of wisdom coming. And, and I mean, when you read Proverbs, speaking of Proverbs, you'll often find things that says wisdom builds our house. Wisdom is how God builds things. And he does it on a foundation of peace. The temple was built in Jerusalem, the city, the foundation of peace. So we saw that peace, wisdom, that's God's tool set. That's what's required to partner with him. And this week, we're going to kind of carry on with the theme of wisdom, but we're going to actually honor the wisdom of a mother. Proverbs 31, verse 1, it starts with, The sayings of King Lemuel are contained in this message, which his mother taught him. God honors the wisdom of mothers. Put it in canon scripture, right? So, so we should too. Just saying. So uh, tomorrow, shout out to moms. Happy Mother's Day tomorrow. But there's also another reason why we're going to look at Proverbs 31. It's actually really, really exciting, and I, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Uh, now, the theme of the Jesus trip that we've been on so far, a 365-day journey of finding Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. We've been looking for Jesus in the Bible, and many of us have been finding him in places that we never thought we would. Like, who was here for that sermon on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus? Yeah. Who would have thought you could have had your world rocked by Leviticus? The same book that's full of death and mayhem and stone people is one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us in the atonement. Absolutely beautiful. I mean, so we're finding him in all these amazing ways, and, and, and I dare say unexpected places. And that's because of this. John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus, he's speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, you know, you guys, you're looking through the scriptures, or the message Bible. He says, you've got your nose buried in your Bibles. It's pretty harsh. Because you think that in the Bible, you think in the scriptures, that those scriptures, the words on those pages are going to give you eternal life. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. That's just a book. That's just a book. But it's a very special book. It's a fantastic book in the sense that it actually points you to me. He says, dude, do get your, your nose stuck in that Bible. Honor it. Read it. Study it. Meditate on it. But I'll tell you what you need to do. When you're reading that, you need to let those words in the page elevate you up out of them and into a relationship with me. See, you can't have a relationship with a book. You can try. It's awkward. But you can with Jesus Christ. So that's what the scriptures are all about. That's why we're looking to see him. I mean, I said it again, but I'll, I'll just repeat it again because it's such a beautiful story. But Pastor Carl started this whole uh, sermon series off back on the last week of December of 2018 by telling the story of the guys on the road to Emmaus. They were dejected. They were walking away from Jerusalem, the city of God. They were walking away from their destiny. And along comes Jesus, and he explains to them and shows them out of the scriptures himself. I mean, I personally believe that's probably the best sermon ever preached. Jesus explaining himself in the Bible. And he did it to two people. That's crazy, eh? All the way throughout church history, there's just this remarkable thread of God doing the most ridiculous things in small groups. In, in like small groups of people and small gatherings. The greatest sermon ever preached potentially was preached to two guys. 
But we know about it. Their lives were changed. They got transformed. They saw Jesus in the breaking of bread, and they turned and got re-engaged in their destiny. There was an alignment brought into their life by seeing Jesus in the scriptures, and that's what, honestly, people are experiencing when we're purposeful, purposeful about looking for Jesus. Now, here's the thing, though. We're going to look at Proverbs 31, and just another dimension we want to add, another layer to the Jesus trip. We're reading the Bible, looking to find Jesus, but here's the awesome thing about that. When you find Jesus, you actually find yourself. Yeah? It's amazing. You end up seeing him. You end up seeing you. Because when you can get through it all and you can look at Jesus, he's staring you right back in the face. You can see your reflection in his eyeballs. He's that close to you. The Message Bible, Romans chapter 8, it says this, the son stands first in a long line of humanity that God has restored. And there in him, in Jesus, we see the original and intended shape of our lives. When you see Jesus, you see what humanity is supposed to be. Not just what you're supposed to be, but what all of us should be and can be. So when we see him, we see ourselves. Not because we are Jesus, not because, you know, anything weird like that, because there's like the, the crazy Christ principle or some of the things you can read out there in books, but because Jesus Christ lives inside of me. He lives inside of you. Now watch this. This is mind-blowing. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. I think if we got this one verse, oh my goodness. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. One spirit with Jesus. That doesn't make us Jesus. It makes us so close to Jesus that when you look at him, you can't see any daylight between you and him. Think about that one language, one spirit. Where else do we hear that in the Bible, right? We hear that in Genesis chapter 2, and we see it in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. It says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Marriage is supposed to be, a, it's a great mystery, it says. It's, a, it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So we, by virtue of our union, by the fact that God has taken us and placed us in Christ and Christ inside of us, we're so much more closer to Jesus than even two married people are who are one flesh. I mean, we are one spirit. You can't be separated from that. You can't drive a wedge in between that. I mean, you can think differently, but the, actual, the, the actuality is, is that your spirit and his are like that. Who's going to separate that? What God has joined together, let no one put asunder. Let someone try. Something going to happen. That's actually you and the church, or you and Jesus, the church and Jesus Christ. So really, because of that relationship, it's not only to see ourselves, but it's to see ourselves as he sees us. It's to see ourselves as like the finished product we, we, we see ourselves as like the, the real deal. We see ourselves as complete. When we see ourselves in Jesus, we're not seeing anything, uh, anything lacking. We're there, completely there. Now, here's the thing. That's awesome, right? That, that's hallelujah, amen worthy, right? That's, that's jump up and dance worthy. That's fantastic stuff. But sometimes the reality can be when you're walking through life, it just happens. Sometimes you become painfully aware of all the ways that you, you feel as though you're, you're falling, you're failing, your shortcomings. Sometimes it's just so darn easy to not see ourselves in that glorious way because we're just kind of in the moment conscious of, oh man, I just did that. Or, ah, I wish I didn't do that. Or I wish this was different about us. 
or just watch TV, just watch a commercial and you'll, you'll, you'll watch like three or four minutes of some people trying to tell you why your life's not good enough until you do what they got for you to do or you buy what they want to sell you. Like culture's just wired to tell you that you're not enough. Which is too bad. And just as an aside, that's why I'm not scared about narcissism. I'm not scared about a, a, an entitled generation of people who feel like the world owes them something. I'm not scared of that. I think that's fantastic. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, a, it's people standing up and saying, I am worth something. This can be all about me because God's all about me. Right? Society somehow, it's just, there's just constant messages saying you're not enough. You don't got enough. So it doesn't even take your own failures sometimes. It just takes, a, I don't know, watching TV or walking down the street or looking at a billboard or something, right? And we can be really, really hard on ourselves. And other people can be hard on us too. And we can internalize their, uh, their, their judgments, their appraisals, their opinions about us. For some reason, as human beings, I think it's just because we're so made for connecting with other people that with that innate desire and that need comes the good and the bad. You know, it's just easy for us to take it on. Now, just because this is also close to Mother's Day, just a quick little word for moms. I'm, uh, I'm not a mom. Hard to believe, right? Amen, right? That's good stuff. Okay, I'm not a mom. I have one. I'm married to one. And uh, now here's the thing. I see like you watch sitcoms and stuff like that. Like dads these days, just a shout out for dads because I think they get a bum rap right now, right? I think like every every kind of show has kind of got the dad as like some sort of blumbering idiot, right? He doesn't really know what he's doing. Doesn't know what day it is. Well, that that that's awful. I mean, that's terrible stuff. But I'll tell you what. There out there, there's this nasty kind of like mom shaming culture out there, where. Uh, not only are like what is one generation uh, judging and shaming moms from from a younger generation, but within the same generation, people are like, "Oh my goodness, you you put your kid in those clothes, you got that stroller, you feed them like this, you feed them like that." Like it's 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 ugly stuff. It's really nasty out there, and I really appreciate it. I appreciate my wife and her refusal to play that game because a lot of people do, and it's ugly. But I mean, being mom, a mom's tough, right? Being a person, being a human being and functioning in a healthy way, is, it can be tough sometimes in the world that we live in. But uh, for the most part, the people who kind of sadly are, are victimized by these kind of shaming things are the people who actually care. You know, the people who actually are trying to do their best. And, it, and it's just too bad. But, but praise God. He lifts us and he elevates us out of a life and a, and a lifestyle of shame and comparison right? Jesus lifts us up out of that. We don't need to get involved in that, and we don't need to take that stuff on. We're totally free. And, it, and it's not only moms, it's just we're, we're totally and completely free from any and all cultural uh, expectations, or the expectations that anybody else would put on us. We're totally free. We're free from religious expectations. Totally set free from all of that stuff. Completely free. When Jesus looks at us, he sees us with beauty and perfection. He doesn't see us through, you know what, you should, you should have done this, you should have done that. You didn't do this and you didn't do that. Yeah? That's not how Jesus looks at us. When he sees us, he sees the final and the best version of us. And I'll tell you why he does that, because he sees us as one with him. So, how does this all relate to Proverbs 31? We're getting there. But uh, like I said, you're going to see yourself. And Proverbs 31 happens to be this beautiful example of how I believe Jesus sees the church. I think Proverbs 31 is a list rather than something that you should try and measure up to. It's a list of, you know what? This is what I see when I look at you. So it's a bit of a prophetic slant on it, to be honest. But I think it's very, very true. 
And uh, <laughs> funnily enough, it starts with the, uh, the sayings that uh, the king's mom told him. And then she goes on to list all the attributes of a, of a good wife. Now, uh, I was going to find some mother-in-law jokes and stuff like that there. But, <laughs> you know, mother-in-law <laughs> demanding that the wife of her son be something she could never be. It's a pretty tough list if you look at it that way, right? You know, there were, there were a few hands that went up and said, yeah, I've, I've kind of felt a little pressure from that list before. I've looked at that and thought, yeah, yeah, that, that could be tough. I don't know how I do that. I don't know how I stack up, and I don't even know how I would even begin. Well, praise God, I don't think this is a list that we need to judge ourselves by. I don't think this is a list that we need to uh, criticize other people by, a template to say, hey, do you fit this? If not, let me tell you how you can fit. I mean, that would not fly in my house. Oh, my goodness. I mean, th there was like a, a two-minute <laughs> taste. I mean, wow, that just wouldn't work. <laughs> And praise God. Wow. So the list. It, it, it's a list of how I think Jesus sees the church. And you know what? How Jesus sees the church right now. Not how Jesus is going to see the church someday. Not the perfection that we might attain to maybe if we live good faithful lives. But what Jesus is actually thinking and feeling when he looks at you today. Right now. So the list. We'll start off with this. Proverbs 31 verse 2 to 3. It says, O my son, O son of my womb, O son of my vows, don't waste your strength on women, on those who ruin kings. This is the advice of the mother to the son. Now, I, I, I don't know. I don't think he's really saying women ruin kings. That's crazy. But I think the admonition, really, it starts like this. It starts from this perspective. It says, hey, son of mine, don't forget that you're a king. You're a king. You're royalty. And don't forget that you're worthy of a bride who's worthy of a king. Or in other words, your bride is going to be your match, not your ruin. And we've seen glimpses of this kind of prophesied in the Jesus trip already. I mean, we saw the type. Remember the type in the shadow of Abraham and his servant, Eliezer? And Abraham says to Eliezer, Genesis 24, he says, um, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. It's kind of weird. Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you'll not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. See, that's a picture of God. God the Father in Abraham saying to the Holy Spirit in Eliezer, get a bride for my son that's suitable, that's a worthy companion. And it's the same as the mother in Proverbs. She says, hey, don't, don't get involved with the wrong kind of mate but somebody who's going to compliment your state as a king, partner with you and not be the ruin of you. And then it goes on to describe what that's going to look like. Now, the beautiful thing about this, because it's highlighted in Scripture so many times, God's serious about this. He really is. He set out with a plan and a purpose to have a helpmate suitable for Jesus, somebody that Jesus could partner with to bring the glory of God into the earth. He went about looking for that. And Jesus, from eternity past, he said, you know who I want that to be? I want that to be them. I want that to be Zach Sloan. I want that to be you guys. I want that to be the church. I want humans. They're going to be my partner. And that's why we're the bride of Christ. I mean, it's kind of weird for a dude to stand up and say, you know, I'm the bride of Christ. But I am because of the function and the relationship that I have. Just like it's not weird for, for a lady to say, I'm, I'm a son of God. You're a son of God because this son of God lives inside of you, right? I mean, daughter's works too, but it really does. But so we've got the father being very, very particular. So if you are 
and you can identify yourself as the bride of Christ, just from that alone, just from the seriousness and the attention to the detail that the Father takes, you're in a good spot. He's already saying something beautiful about you. He's already saying you're fully equipped, you're resourced, and who you are as a person is more than enough. You're a match for my son. You're worthy of partnering with the Son of God forever in all of his purposes. That enough is ridiculous. That's what God the Father says about you to his son. They're worthy of you. What? That's some good stuff. Now, just a quick word if there's any objections. I just want to get this out of the way real quick. <laughs> there's a train of thought that says, you know what? That's, that's not actually how God sees you right now. That's how God's going to see you in the future. Right? And I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. I really don't. And here's why. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, But of God are you in Christ Jesus, who has become for you wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus Christ is my righteousness. He is my holiness. Holiness isn't something that I'm working to attain. It's not a state of being that mature Christians get to. Holiness is a person. Holiness isn't a set of behaviors or a set of attitudes or, or a belief system. Holiness is Jesus Christ. When you've been put in him, probably a nicer sound than that, when you've been plopped into Jesus and Jesus has come to live inside of you, you're one with him. You are holy because he's holy. You're righteous because he's righteous. See, Jesus is certainly not on a journey towards sanctification and holiness. He's not on a journey towards becoming more perfect or more righteous. So if you're in him, neither are you. Now it gets worked out in your brain. It gets worked out in our thought process. Funnily enough, the verse that we heard earlier about Romans, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let your mind catch up to what he's done on the inside of you. Let your mind find a way to be able to articulate and think about the union that Jesus has with you already. And when you can start to think according to what he's already done deep inside of you, then it's going to find full expression in your life because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Right? It's really that easy. Jesus Christ is my righteousness. Even if you don't feel like it. Even if you don't act like it. Even if you're struggling to believe it. Seriously. That's okay. That's why we have beautiful bits of the scripture, like Proverbs 31, so that we can hear it, we can read it, and he can reassure us and tell us and speak over us and say, you know what? You're beautiful. You're righteous. You're holy. And he's got so much more to say, and we're going to look at some of it. But first of all, look at this. Revelations chapter 21, verses 9 to 11. The Spirit says to, um, to, to John, he says, come, I'm going to show you the bride. I'm going to show you the Lamb's wife the one who's one with Jesus. And John says, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, and he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. John, see John, he gets this prophetic message uh, to give to the church, which... Just by the way, the book of Revelation, it starts off by saying that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. That is how you read that book. So what we're doing on the Jesus trip is actually how you really, really got to apply to Revelation. 
It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily a roadmap to the end times. If you're looking for the end time stuff in Revelation, you're going to miss out on its real purpose. Because his real purpose is to say, here's the one that you're betrothed to, and then watch this, by the way, when you see him, you're going to see the bride. See, when he wrote a prophetic message about the last days, Jesus Christ, see, we're in the last days. The last days happened when Jesus got raised up from the dead. That's how the Bible talks about it. It says there was an age before. There were ages before, but now in this age, the mystery has been revealed. We're in the last days because we're in the days of Jesus and his resurrection. But bound up in this, re in this revelation of Jesus Christ is intricately and intimately a revelation of the Lamb's wife, the bride. See, it's a prophetic revelation of, of, of Jesus and his bride. The two are one, and when he sees the bride, he sees her as having the glory of God. It's like John's writing, and he says, hey, do you know this about yourself? Do you see this about who you are? See, John and Jesus, they saw the church as the finished article. He saw the church descending from heaven. Yeah? With the glory of God. When he said, and that's what we got to do for one another. I mean, there's a prophetic ministry for you. To be able to look at someone else and see them as the finished article. To be able to see them completely in Christ and then speak to somebody in a way that calls out that identity in their life. To be able to treat people as though they are the completed, finished article in Jesus. And then to begin to be able to see people and the lights go on in their own hearts. Wow, they're treating me like I really am a son of God. They're treating me like I really am a daughter. Wow, that must mean I am. That's good news. So here's the trick. When you want to see yourself from the, the finished, the, the place of perfection, you want to see yourself, you want to see the church as, uh, as having the glory of God, the secret there, it's contained in that little verse, the verse right in the middle, Revelation 21.10. It says, the Spirit carried him away to the mountaintop. See, in the book of Revelation, prior to this experience, he's in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, he's able to see the, the I'm not going to use the word, but he sees the woman who's riding the beast. He sees an apostate church. He sees the woman who sold herself to the world. That's what he sees from the wilderness. But then it says when he gets taken up to this high mountain, that's when he can actually see the church in its perfection. And for us to see the bride of Christ, we have to come up to that great and high mountain, that high place where we're seated with him in heavenly places. And when that's your vantage point and that's your viewpoint, man, you can see the, Christ, the, the bride of Christ as she really is, full of glory. You can see yourself full of his glory. That's the perspective. Heavenly places. It's where we all are. We're all seated there. You can see from there. You can do it. So let's, let's look at a couple places where, where Jesus is just like, oh my goodness, when I look at you, this is what I see. So Proverbs 31.10. It, it starts with this. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is more or far above rubies. Who can find a virtuous wife? Well, that word virtuous, it's actually in the Hebrew, chayil, and it means strength, efficiency, wealth, army. Kind of incongruent there, but... Who can find a wife, in other words, with stability or with ability and with strength and with wealth? See, she's worth a lot. She's precious. She's valuable. She means a lot to her husband. She's full of ability. She's full of strength. Did you know that when Jesus looks at you, he sees you as full of ability and full of strength? Do you know that? Do you feel that? 
See, you don't just have an, ex an occasional experience where you, you feel a shot of strength and that's God giving you strength. You are strong. You are able. And when Jesus looks at you, he's not thinking, oh my goodness, my purposes in their hands are so fragile. He's like, look at those people. They are so strong. They're so capable. And you know what? They're wealthy. They're full of the resources of heaven. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, it says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, you can read that to say that that's the Holy Spirit that he's given you. But I'll tell you what, it is the Holy Spirit, but it's also your spirit. You've been born again. You possess power. You possess love. You possess a sound mind, self-control, and self-discipline. And when God looks at you, he sees you as a capable, able, strong person, fully equipped, fully resourced. Now, you might think, you might be like, oh, well, I'm weak. You might not see yourself that way. You might see yourself as, as weak and, and just lacking and, and just not able to get through stuff. But I'll tell you what, God says you're strong. God says, my grace is actually sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So don't shy away from your weakness. Don't shy away from something. Paul said, I'd rather glory in my weaknesses. Why? Because he, he had an identity as a weak person who couldn't get along in life? No, because he knew that when he was weak, then he was strong. The grace of God made him strong. That's why, get this, this, he trusts you. Jesus trusts you. He absolutely does. He looks at you and sees you as strong, able, fully equipped, and he's like, so much so, I trust you. I have confidence in you. Proverbs 31, 11. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. She does him good and not evil. That's crazy. See, here's, here's trust. Trust, it's, it's reliance on the integrity, on the strength, on the ability, the surety of a person or thing. In other words, it's confidence. He's confident in you. He's so confident about the strength and the power that he's put inside of you. You'll see what? You'll see what he's done. First of all, he's confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. God is confident and full of trust and belief that you, in partnership with Holy Ghost, are going to manifest everything that he's put in your heart to do. He trusts you. He believes that what you need to manifest in your life, you're going to work it out. Because you and Holy Ghost are like this. See, you can't look at yourself anymore and say, well, I got to do my part and God's got to do his part. You can't say that about yourself anymore. That's an illegitimate question. There is no you beside Holy Ghost. There's you guys all mingled up together. There's no your part, God part. There's the two of you together. That's why he's so confident in you. That's why he trusts you. He trusts that the nature of Christ that he wants to work out through you, it's going to happen. He absolutely believes it. And you know what else he's trusted us with? He's trusted us with his ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20, it says, Now all things are of God, who's reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
Jesus set about this mission. He's in heaven. He sees everything that's gone all wonky, and he's like, I'm going to go fix it. I'm going to go bring them all back. Every bad thing that's ever been sown in the earth and in humanity, I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to bring those people to that high and lofty place where they can partner with me forever. And then you know what he does? He dies on the cross. He raises up from the dead. And then he leaves. He goes. He's got this great program. He's looking into the future. He's like, man, I can see 2019 years ahead or whatever. And he's like, you know what? I trust them to get the job done. I believe in them. Jesus started something, and he said, I've brought you guys into this. Here you go. Let's do it. So much so that I'm leaving, and I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost. And you filled with him. You're more than capable. You're able. You're strong. You've got my grace. You've got my Holy Spirit. You're so one with him. Oh, my goodness, this thing's going to get done. I believe it. He goes up and he sits at the right hand and he says he puts his feet up, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. Praise God, eh? He's trusted us with his eternal plan and program. He's trusted us. There's people out there who he longs to know. He wants those people to know him and to be able to experience the things that he has for them. He wants it so badly. Now here's the thing. He's told us to do it because he trusts us because he believes in us. And more to the point, he believes in us because we've been made one with him, because we've got Holy Spirit. If you're a mom, just another shout out to moms and dads. God trusts you with his kids. Isn't that funny? You have kids, and my wife and I talk about this sometimes, and it's like, you know what? what? I mean, besides the strength, I mean, physically, I've got a little bit more strength right now than maybe I might when I'm 60. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad, uh, bad confession, but um, as my days are, so my strength will be, right? <laughs> I'm saying it now, Jesus, in front of witnesses. Uh, but I mean, you're just starting out, really. People are able to be parents just when they, they start off adulthood, right? And you're like, man, it, I'd probably do a better job if I had a little bit more wisdom, a little bit more you know, seasoning along the way, you know? But he's like, no. Here you go. I trust you. I trust you with the kids. I trust you that you and I together are going to be able to walk this out. And we're going to be able to, to shape the life and the destiny of the person that I've put in your care to do so. That's crazy. Wow. He really trusts us. Now, here's another thing. This is probably one of my favorites. When he looks at us, I'm going to explain this, but he sees your yes to him. He sees you as though you've got a great big yes in your heart to Jesus. Proverbs 31.13, she seeks wool and flax, and she willingly works with her hands. She willingly works. Don't you hate the, I mean, I do, and I know hate's a strong word, but I really don't like the kind of religion that's constantly badgering you to like a higher level of commitment. You know, I, I don't like that. I really don't. Or a higher level of passion or a higher level of desire. I love commitment. I love passion. So does Jesus. But he ignites those things inside of me. Right? I'm committed to God because he's committed to me. I'm passionate about him because he's passionate about me. He lights that fire inside of me. I got to keep it going. And sometimes I got to stir it up. But he got that sucker going. Right? So I'm not anti-passion, anti-commitment, anti-desire. But I'll tell you what. You can't, you can't poke and prod it with, you know, a religious stick. It doesn't respond to carrots and sticks. It really doesn't work that way. But you know what else I don't like? I don't like when you, 
you know, you, you fall or you experience some difficulty in your life and you do something stupid maybe. You, let's say you, you sin. And somebody comes along and is like, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> of course I shouldn't have done that. I know that. <laughs> somebody beats you up and is like, come on, just make the better choice. Or who's ever been, I mean, we sung some songs about freedom today. Who's ever been in a situation where it's like, man, I'm struggling with something. I really don't want to do it. But for some reason, I keep finding myself in the same situation. I keep finding myself unable to say yes, unable to make the right decision. Has anybody ever experienced something like that? Well, here's the thing. Jesus sees you as willing. He sees you as one who's got a great big yes in your heart saying, yes, I'll go. Yes, I'll do it. Even when you're struggling. Even when you're not doing that thing that you think you should do. Even when you're making a hash of it. He looks at you and he says, I know that you say yes to me. I know that you want my purposes. I know it. You don't have to convince me. I mean, if you ever pray, Jesus, please just know I, I love you. I want to do the right thing. I'm just struggling right now. He believes you. He really does. You can hear him in that moment say, yeah, I know. I believe you. And do you know why? He put that yes in your heart. He gave us a willing and a responsive heart to him. Philippians 2.13 says, it's God who's at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. God is at work in you to say yes to him. You and the Holy Spirit are so like that. You're so one. There's no separation. Ezekiel 11 says, I'm going to give them one heart, a new heart. I'm going to put a new spirit within them. I'm going to take away that heart of stone that doesn't really respond to me that doesn't respond to my leadings, that doesn't really get it when I'm talking to you. I'm going to take that heart out of you. God says he's going to give you a heart of flesh, and the Amplified Bible it says that is responsive to my touch. God himself has put a heart in you that can hear him and feel his guidance. There's a heart inside of you that wants to do what God wants you to do. There's a heart inside of you that says, hey, Lord, you're looking for somebody? Here I am. Send me. That yes isn't relegated to the superheroes in the Christian faith. That yes is in everybody. He sees it and he says, wow, I love that about you. I love that you want to serve me. I love that you want to follow me. Yeah, don't worry. It looks like you're struggling right now. But deep down, he wants you to know that you want to. Whether you know it or not, <laughs> you want to. He put that yes in you. And you know what? When you can agree with that, when you can feel the yes of Jesus in your heart to him, and you can, just, you can just align your mind with that, wow, life's easy. It becomes a lot easier. Now, here's another one. He sees you as fruitful. She considers a field and buys it from her prophets. She plants a vineyard. I, I like vineyards. So did Jesus, John 15, right? He sees you as fruitful. In other words, he says, I really like what you're doing in your life. I love the impact of your life. I love the effect that you're having on this world. I love the impact and the imprint that you're leaving in your lives. I love what you do at work. I love what you do in your relationships. Jesus says that about you right now. Right now. Now, you might feel like you're struggling. You might feel like you're not actually, you know, making much of an impact. But Jesus says, you know what? Your life is doing something. It's impossible for it not to. And he likes it. He likes it. See, he sees the impact in your life even when you don't. 
Verse 15 here, it says she provides food for her household. Now, this is just another shout out, Mother's, Happy Mother's Day, but it applies for everybody. Oftentimes, there's work that you do that goes unnoticed at home or with the people closest to you in our families, right? That's the kind of fruitful work that you've engaged in the most, but sometimes it goes overlooked. Sometimes it feels like nobody really appreciates what I'm doing or what I've done. But here's the thing, when everyone else seems to neglect the impact of your life, when everyone else seems to not appreciate you and what you've done, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, wherever it is, God sees it. He recognizes it. Hebrews 6.10 says, God's not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you've shown for his name in ministering to his people. God doesn't forget it. God sees it. He sees what you're doing. He sees your impact. Now, you might be doing something right now that really, 10 years out, the fruit of it's going to be really seen. But he looks at you right now and says, you know what? I see the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. Bless you. I love what you're doing. Yeah. If you're struggling with this, if you're kind of like, nah, I just don't get it. I don't see it. You know, maybe you've, you've done something stupid and you've really made a hash of something in your life. Here's the thing. When it comes to fruitfulness, John chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. See, he sees you as fruitful on the basis and the strength of his having chosen you, called you, and appointed you. Even if you don't feel like you've been fruitful, even if you feel like you're not having a good impact right now, you do and you will. It's not the end of your story. It's based, the fact that you're fruitful is based on the strength of his commitment the strength of his ability, the strength of his tenacity to make that thing that you've sown into come to pass. Jesus will make you fruitful. John 15, 2, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Uh-oh. What if I don't see the impact in my life right now? What if I just made a horrible hash of things? Uh-oh, is he going to take me away? No, we've heard enough times from Pastor Carl. That actually really is a terrible, terrible translation. Most Bibles actually will put a little footnote in there saying just how bad it is. So why they, why they continue to put it, I don't know. But the NU text clearly does not have to say this. It actually says he's going to lift you up. If you're not bearing fruit, he's going to lift you up. He's committed to it. You didn't choose me. I chose you and I appointed you. You will bear fruit because I said you will. That's what I've appointed you to. The strength of his commitment to you is going to make your life mean something. It's going to mean that your life is fruitful. You realize your purpose and all that stuff he's put in your heart to come to pass. You're going to see it because of his commitment to you. If you fall down, if you're in the mud, maybe there's mud covering your eyes. You're not seeing it properly. He's not casting you out. He's lifting you up. He's taking you out of the mud. He's making sure that the leaves are clean. He's making sure that you can face the sun again. That's what he's doing. He's lifting you up. He's repositioning you so that you can receive the light of the sun shining on your face. You will bear fruit. You are a fruit-bearing branch because you're one with the fruitful vine. You almost don't have a choice. You're in Christ. It's going to come. It's just flowing through you. Here's another beautiful thing. He sees you as generous. He sees you as loving. Proverbs 31, verse 17 to 20, it's a little bit out of it. He says, yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Jesus sees you as generous. 
and he sees you as a loving person. Do you see yourself as a generous, loving person? It's hard to be that way if you don't see yourself that way. That's just true of life. It's, it's really, really hard to consistently act in a way that's inconsistent with how you see yourself, right? That's actually, it's actually almost impossible, and it's definitely not, well, good for your, your health, to be honest with you, if I can be. But he sees you as generous. He sees you as loving. Now, we've, we've exalted love as the pinnacle of Christian faith, and it is. God is love, you know? God is love. He, and, and you can strive for it. You can work really hard to be a loving, kind person. Or you can just open up your heart and say, yes, Jesus. You see me as loving? Do you know why? Because he's put his love in your heart. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given you. The love of God has already been poured out in my heart. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. We love him on the strength and because of he first loved us. Now, that's not, a, that's not a carrot stick thing. You better love him because he loved you. The strength and the power of his love for you motivates, propels, and fills you with his own love. You are loving people. You are. You're all loving and kind. Even if you just cuss someone out in the parking lot. <laughs> Don't do it. But if you did, praise Jesus. You're a loving and a kind and a generous person. You've got the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have kindness inside of you, and it's going to pop up whether you like it or not. It's going to come. Jesus sees you as generous, and he sees you as loving. He also likes your clothes. Some people like other people's clothes. Some people would like and admire the way people dress. I never got that. I, I, you can tell. George always comes to work with these fantastic clothes on. And he's popping around up here looking all good, all dressed up and stuff. And my, my dresser and my closet is blue, dark blue, darker blue, black. I, this is actually really colorful for me, believe it or not. I'm not kidding. And if I really want to mix it up, I got some gray. I, I like the dark shade. I, I do actually have some colorful clothes, but I'm like, wow. Everybody just always sees me in blue, so, or black, and I guess green, so I just can't do it. I don't know. But clothes, clothes, me and clothes, not my strong suit. Don't get it. Really don't. Sometimes we'll go places and she'll be like, are you really going to wear that? <laughs> I'm like, what's the problem? And uh, she's like, man, I wish I was like you. You just don't care. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, is it that bad? So, I mean, I can't tell what matches either. I just walk through a store, and if people snicker, then huh, do something different next time. But, <laughs> Anyways, praise Jesus. He likes your clothes. She makes a tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. I guess that was a thing back then. He likes how you're dressed. That's a big deal. I mean, clothing and what you're wearing is a big deal in the Bible. Remember in the garden, it all started, Adam and Eve were naked, and then they sinned, and then what they did, they went and they got these really itchy fig leaves, and they made themselves some coverings. Because sin, the consequences, the effects of it, what it does in you, it makes you want to hide. It makes you want to want to run. It makes you full of shame. It makes you full of, of guilt, and it makes you feel like you're just not worthy and unacceptable, and it makes you want to hide and get out of plain view. And Jesus, he comes along and he's like, I want to look at you. 
I like what I see when I look at you. You're not naked anymore. You're not naked and ashamed anymore. Revelation 17 talks about people who've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Talk about some good clothes. Zechariah 3, 3 to 5. Love this. Joshua's clothing, I think this is a a visionary experience that Zechariah is having, and he sees Joshua. Joshua was a priest. His clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Joshua, he said, see, I've taken away your sins, and now I've given you these fine new clothes. In the Bible, sometimes your clothes are associated with what's going on on the inside of you. Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. See, there is precedent for wearing hats. If anybody knows me, the only time I don't wear a hat is when I'm up here. It's in the Bible. (laughs) Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head, dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Praise God. He's given us clothes. Do you know what that means? That means you can stand up and not be afraid to be looked at. That means that you don't have to hide in shame anymore. That means you can, you can come out and you can say, here I am, look at me. Look at me now as the song goes, right? Look at me. Jesus is looking at you and he likes what he sees. He's taking away the shame. He's taking away the guilt. He's taking away your nakedness. And he's covered you with himself. Praise God, eh? Wow, he's done some good stuff for us. He really has. It basically all boils down to this. Jesus wants, he thinks you're awesome and he wants you to know it. He thinks we're awesome and he wants us to know it. He wants you to be able to live confidently with your head held high. I love it in the Psalms. He said, he is the lifter of my head. He wants you to lift up your head, pick up your head, walk through life, stand up straight. Don't be afraid to be looked at. Know that your God loves you. Know that he thinks awesome things about you. Proverbs 31. Verse 23 to 28, just a little bit out of that. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband, he also praises her. Get this. Jesus thinks you're praiseworthy. Not in a weird way. Not like, not like Jesus. Not like we're not going to sing songs to you and praise you and worship you. Not like that. But he wants to say nice things to you. He wants to say nice things to you and nice things about you. He wants to congratulate you. He wants to say, good job, well done. Can, can you hear those kind of things? Can you hear Jesus speak to you and say things to you? Like, I love you, and I really, really like this about you. I really like what you did here. I like how you dealt with that. I love how you do this. Can you hear Jesus say that stuff? Sometimes it's really, really easy to just kind of get in this mode, mindset, in this mode where the only thing that we're open to hearing God speak to us about is how well we're doing, about our performance, about ministry things that we want to do, or praying to him for stuff, our, our needs, which is great. He says to do it. I'm not saying don't. I'm not saying don't talk to him about getting involved in ministry stuff and, you know, praying for those people at work or your neighbor. But that's not the only thing he wants to talk to you about. He wants to speak good things over you and say, man, I love that about you. And you know what happens when you hear that? You just feel so validated and so affirmed. God, my Father, likes it when I do this. Wow. Talk about encouragement. Gone are the carrot and stick days. My God told me he liked it when I did that. He liked the way I did that. Wow. 
See, one of the one of the most amazing encounters I ever had with God. Very simple, very very basic, but I heard him say to me one day, How are you? I was like, What? I went off on this list about how, how I thought I was, I was praying for people, I was talking about the people in my life, the people in my world, how I was doing, and uh, how, how I felt. I was basically evaluating how I thought I was doing in terms of winning people to Jesus and encouraging the Christians that I knew. And I, at the time, I, I think I was at the beginning of my studies, I, I was talking to God about, I think I was in political science at the time, and talking about some of the stuff I was learning and stuff like that. And then I felt the Lord say, no, 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 no. I'm not asking you how you're doing. I'm saying, how are you? And I was like, whoa, wow, you care about me, not just what I'm doing. You care about my emotional state. You want me to talk to you, and you want to talk to me about how you think I'm doing. That's just amazing. One of the, the best examples of this that I've ever seen in my life is actually my daughter, Gracie. Uh, she hears that kind of stuff all the time. We, uh, I carry it around in my phone in my pictures. I took a picture of it, but she's got uh, these letters. She had letters all over the place where, to Gracie, love God. I really like this about you. I like the way you do this. I love the way you spoke this. And it's specific stuff. That's powerful. That's powerful. Jesus wants you to hear him speak validating words over you and to tell you how great you are. I'll tell you what, you just got to condition yourself, I guess, a little bit to hear it. Open yourself up to hear Jesus speak praise over you, validation over you, and what you're doing and what you're all about. It's really powerful stuff. See, he wants you to know you're doing well. He does. See, we've, you know those verses where it says, you know, uh, well done, good and faithful servant? You know, that's kind of used in the wrong hands. That's kind of the carrot stick thing, too. Proverbs 31, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. God wants you to know when you're doing well. He wants you to know that your end is bright. Because of his power, because of his ability, he's going to bring you into the fullness of everything he has planned for you. It's going to happen on the strength of who he is and his commitment to you. Your end is good. You're doing well. You're doing great. Can you hear Jesus say to you tonight, you're doing a great job. You are my delight. I'm so happy with you. I love what you're doing. You're so strong. You got this. You can do this. You and me together, we can do anything. It goes on to say, charms, deceptive beauty, is passing, passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. You're fruitful. You're effective. You're making an impact. We want to make an impact. We're striving to make an impact. Sometimes, that's all good. Sometimes it's just good to sit back and let Jesus say, good job. That's not something that you're only going to hear, you know, when you die or when you pass through the judgment seat or whatever your theology is for that. That's something you can hear today. That's something you can hear right now. See, Jesus, he's absolutely nuts about us. He really is. He's nuts about the church. He looks at us and he sees us for who we are and he likes us. See, Jesus doesn't just love us. He likes us. 
He wants to be with us. He wants to spend time with us. He enjoys who we are. He really does. One of the hardest things in life can just be to chill out. Come to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I got 20 minutes. Let's chill. I'm not going to talk to you about nothing. I'm not going to, you know, pray this, that, and the other thing. Let's just hang out. I just want to love on you and let you love on me. I mean, there, there's something that will change your life. That will rock your, rock your world. Now, the thing is, you can tell yourself all these awesome things. You can get a book and sit in your basement and read it over and over and over again, but you need to hear him say it to you. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, who came, it says, from the bosom of the Father, if Jesus Christ needed to hear on his baptism day, this is my beloved Son, and him I'm well pleased, how much more do we need to hear that? Right? And you know what? God's speaking that. That's something you can hear every single day. So you can accurately describe how God thinks about you. You can take some Bible verses out, but I'm telling you where the transformation is at is when you hear God himself speak that into you and treat you according to what he thinks about you. Another powerful way to let that sink in. Uh, I mean, we're learning more and more as human beings, like neuroscience, psychology, all that kind of stuff. There's so much out there showing us that as human beings, we're actually shaped more. Our identity is set more in us by our relationships and our connections with other people than it is by anything that you can do on your own. That's true of our relationship with God, but it's actually true of our relationship with people. Do you know your brain is actually the only organ that's actually socially conditioned? You can't affect my kidney. You can affect my brain. You can actually affect the neural pathways in the way I think if I let you. That's the kind of impact Jesus wants to have on us. And that's the kind of impact he wants us to have on one another. So we continue this Jesus trip. We're, we're going along. We're, we're looking for Jesus in the Bible. 365 days, Genesis to Revelation. Let's keep listening and looking for Jesus. And in that, just something else to think about. Let's be open to seeing ourselves. Let's be open to hearing him talk to us about us. Isn't that crazy? What we're going to find is the Jesus trip, it's actually a dialogue. When you see Jesus, his eyes are right looking back at you. You can't see him without you. And you know what? If we can expect that from him, we can do it for one another. If he sees us this, these ways, we can see each other these ways too. And we can then begin to relate to one another according to how Jesus actually thinks about us and feels about us. And that, I'm telling you, that's the nature of a truly prophetic community. To be able to see the identity of Jesus in one another, call that out, speak that over one another, and to be able to treat each other according to what we see through the eyes of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, nothing's going to set and fix identity in us. Like beginning to treat each other as though we really are the sons and the daughters of God. Begin to be able to treat each other and say, you know, I see you as strong. I see you as fully equipped. You're more than capable. I like your clothes. You like my green sweater. <laughs> and you know what? We're talking about Mother's Day, but this is actually what being like a real mother and a father in the faith is actually all about. It's not necessarily about having kids. It's not about even having spiritual offspring in the sense that you're the guy at the front and everybody becomes Christians because of what you said. It's not about that at all. That's crazy talk. What actually matters is that you are a fathering and a mothering people, and that's not age-related. That has to do with setting identity in people. That has to do with the kind of influence that you have on the people around you, irrespective of your age. But you have the kind of influence on people that causes other people, through the way you treat them and speak about them, to see in themselves the things that Jesus sees. You want to be fruitful. Oh my goodness, there it is, right there. 
fathering and mothering people by calling out identity in people, the identity that Jesus has already set inside of them. That's what I think King Lemuel's mother did in a prophetic way. He said, son, here's what you really like. Here's how Jesus sees you. So we can and we should. We should make every effort to see that identity in people, call it out, treat each other that way. And the vision that we have of ourselves, we'll begin to see ourselves as the finished product. We'll begin to see ourselves full of the glory of God. Amen. All right, let's stand up together. I love that Jesus loves me. He's such a good God. Good Savior. Here's the good news tonight about everything that I've said, that the relationship with Jesus Christ is available to anyone and everyone. And it's just as simple as saying yes. It's just as simple as saying, Jesus, I accept that you love me. And that's it. It really is. That's it. The apostles, they decided in Acts 15, in consultation with Holy Ghost, they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make this as easy as possible for everybody. Jesus wants to make it easy. Because he's so convinced of the power of the Holy Ghost in people's lives, that just a simple yes to him is all he needs. So if that's you here today, and you've never said to Jesus, I want to live my life with you. I say yes to you. I accept that you accept me. I accept that you love me. Just a simple yes. If you've never done that before today, I just want to invite you right now to, to stick up your hand. I'm going to count to three. I'm going to say one, two, three. At the count of three, just raise up your hand, and we'll all pray a prayer together. Everybody, please, if you would just close your eyes, bow your heads, so that people can have a private moment just with Jesus. If that's you here today, you've never said yes to Jesus. You want to know Jesus. Ready? One, two, three. Just raise up your hand. Thank you. All right, guys, we're all going to pray together. Just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I accept you. I receive you. I believe in you. Let's live life together. In your name I pray. Amen. That's it. Jesus Christ, come on into your life. And God the Father looks at you and says, you know what? By the strength and the power and the authority of my Son, every good purpose I have for you is going to come to pass. There's people here uh, on the altar ministry. If you'd come on up. If you need prayer tonight, I would strongly suggest come to the altar. Maybe you want to hear something. You want to hear Jesus speak something over you. We believe in miracles because we believe in God. All right. Thank you, Father. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. And I pray, Father, that everybody here would know and experience the love of Jesus Christ, that we together would be given the power to comprehend the height, the width, the length, the depth, to know the love of God, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. And when we know that, your Bible tells us we're going to be filled with the fullness of God. 
So I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you've given us that power. And in the strength of the power of God, may we go out today, God, knowing that we are deeply, deeply loved by you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.